All right, Josh Smith here. We're uh, live in my studio again, live from Flat 5. My guest today is a good friend and an unbelievably great musician. Um, he's one of, I think, the preeminent solo guitar players in the world, also one of the preeminent educators, I think, in the world. He's someone I go to when I have questions because I know he'll have a good answer. Uh, he's just an amazing player, improviser, and honestly, he's just a great dude. Like, literally, he's a guy you want to talk to and hang out with. Uh, I love this guy, and I love his playing, and it's a pleasure to have him here. Give it up, Tim Lurch, everybody. Oh, thank you, Josh. That's really sweet of you to say. I, I was thinking about this. You know, we know each other, but I think I've only met you face-to-face -face for about three minutes, you know, in all of this time. Uh, yeah. It's funny how that works. The world is is uh, funny that way. But here we are. We're, we're actually... Uh, face-to-face uh, -face once again in a virtual way. So happy to be here, man. It's uh, it's a great thing that you're doing. I'm a fan of you personally, uh, what you're doing for the guitar, how you play, play your ass off in a beautiful way. And also what you've done in this uh, quarantine time is profound, man. It really is. Thank you. Thank you, man. That's really nice of you to say. And you're right, man. It's This guitar world of ours is very small. You know, and it's like even guys I don't know, I'm really one step removed from. I always know somebody who knows like 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 Julian. I didn't know Julian before I interviewed him last week. And it was like I knew one guy who was friends with him. I called him. He knew me. I was shocked. He's like, dude, I love your playing. Yes, I would absolutely love to do that. And then that's yeah. it. You know, and now I've spoken. I've literally spoken to Julian almost every day this week. It was like we had instant connection. And that's just yeah, how I it know. goes in music, you know. I feel you about that, particularly about Julian. Uh, uh, Julian also is a, a pal of mine relatively recently and a similar, very, very similar uh, thing. We uh, somehow we, we got to talking and it was this mutual admiration society. And he's about as big of a guitar nerd as I am, maybe even bigger. And I, I love him as a person. And so yeah, I'm glad I was really happy to see that you that you did an interview with him because he's a treasure. He really is. Yeah, you're right. He really is. But let's talk about you man so i've been starting every interview wanting to know kind of who put the guitar in your hands initially i'm always fascinated by how it ends up there and and also whether you come from a musical family or not i don't know your answer to this so i'm very curious i i've i've made it clear i don't come from a musical family it's just pretty much happenstance that i ended up with the guitar it was a random thing my dad decided to do and he bought this guitar for me how did it end up for you? How did it end up in your hands? Uh, interesting story. I'll try and be brief. Um, I don't come from a musical family per se, although um, there was a piano in the house. My mom played it after dinner, usually gospel church songs in the key of F. I came to find out later. It was her key. Um, <laughs> everybody everybody before me, I, have, uh, I come from a big Catholic family, so... Um, I had uh, two older brothers and two older sisters, and I also have two younger brothers. So there's a big crew of us. Um, my father was not musical at all. He whistled a little phrase um, kind of over and over and, you know, badly. And he had this one song that he would sing around the corner and under a tree. And that's all he knew, you know. Um, but everybody before me got piano lessons at, from the nuns at Catholic Church. And for some reason, they stopped with me. I don't know why. Maybe I, 
they didn't have the money or maybe they did i maybe i said i don't want to or maybe they something but they didn't give me piano lessons where you would at school you would leave class and go have a piano lesson um and i didn't I, I to this day i don't resent that because none of my other brothers and sisters who had those piano lessons are terribly musical at all and or even really um you know so i guess they're all to one extent or another music lovers but um but i didn't get that and but my first memory my literally my very earliest memory is um sitting on a on the top bunk in a in a room full of four bunk beds or two bunk beds so four beds yeah. Um, sitting on the top bunk, listening to a transistor radio. Um, and in 1962, maybe, I was born in 59, so I might have been two or three years old, climbed up to the top bunk and, and, and stole my brother's transistor radio and listened to whatever was on the radio at that time. And that became quite a, a ritual for me. I, I just loved listening to the radio. Um, my mom listened to country radio in Sacramento. I was born in, and raised in a little town near Sacramento called Woodland. Um, there was a radio station called Crack Radio, which is maybe has different connotations now, but it was a country station and they played, you know, the pop country of the day, which is the good kind of country that I like, not, not like uh, the stuff that we've had since then. But, um, and I heard that and I swear to you, Josh, I don't, I don't know if I believe in, you know, past lives or any of that kind of stuff. But the, the thing I imagined, I wanted to have a guitar and I wanted to do this. I swear, as a, as a, a five-year-old kid, I wanted a guitar and that's what I wanted to do on it. I just, I don't know what that meant. Do you remember where you even saw the guitar for the first time like oh, i suppose i mean uh, by about that time by the time i was born the family had a black and white tv and um you know we could watch it for you know an hour you know it, it got turned off at 7 30 and we all went to bed but uh, <laughs> you know pretty strict <laughs> regimen there but i'm sure i saw you know guitars being played um it was too early for there to be a guitar in church. That okay. came a little later. Um, that came a right around the time when I was, um, we had a thing in the Catholic church called a, the folk mass. And that was a new development because when I was a little kid, the mass was in Latin, you know? And so to go from there to having guitars strumming away, singing, you know, Lottie Doc uh, songs uh, was a big, a big leap, but um, that came later. I really don't know, Josh. I just always had it in, inside of me um, to want to play, and and there was no support for it. I mean, I didn't even get my first guitar until I bought my own guitar with my paper route money. Really? Okay. So, yeah. how old were you then? I was. I inherited my paper route from my my big brother, and and started. You know, when I was about ten, which was kind of early, but you know, I I was doing it kind of under his hospices. Um, and so I think I might've bought a guitar when I was 12. Wow. And I, I, my, I remember my dad took me down to Trainum's Music in Woodland and I picked out a, you know, an $80 nylon string guitar that I had saved my money for. And immediately that was it. Man, I can't even imagine like 
the the want so much that you you worked for it and saved up the money at that young age it's like you what choice did you have but to, you you was predetermined you were gonna love no, it I, and, you know, yeah no. yeah josh amazing. i got no choice i got no choice <laughs> yeah i had yep. no choice I, you know and and it's been that way i i never had a fallback yeah you know i'm not i'm not um a logical person <laughs> when it comes to that you know i just i just couldn't get it out of my head you know and i i could sing a little bit my very first instrument was a harmonica i learned how to sing and play love me do yeah wow on, yeah. with the harmonica yeah. lick you know um yeah. and yeah. um luckily there was music around the house and i wasn't pre I, I wasn't prevented from um listening to music in fact i have a feeling that it was a relief because I wasn't underfoot. I wasn't causing too much trouble. By the time I got into music, then, you know, Timmy's in the other room listening to that radio, you know. Um, and, right. Uh, right. But, but, but oddly, there was, um, I did it, I, as far as I can tell, I was never discouraged except for, Timmy, stop playing that, you know or whatever but i was also never really encouraged i don't know if that's maybe my family's a little stoic when i did okay in school and i had you know that whole thing and i was an altar boy and that whole thing but then then the guitar came along and it kind of replaced you know slowly replaced sports and and um that so when thing. you By got the, the guitar did you teach yourself? Did you have somebody to show you anything? Did you take lessons? Yeah, that's a, that's how to get question. started? Um, I, I am self-taught, like I think all of us are, um, and maybe to a, a greater extent than some of us are. Like I didn't go and have a guitar lesson um, until I was already giving guitar lessons. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is which is kind of weird, right? I bought a book and I learned how to read a little bit. I probably read, read about as well then as I do now. Uh, but um, no, I, I actually learned how to read. But, um, you know, Mel Bay one or whatever and, and single notes. And then, and then um, you know, you steal uh, the kid down the street, you know, uh, you steal the D chord or whatever. And, uh, but I can remember, Josh, um, like... I love to play along with the radio. In fact, this may predict some of your future questions, but but I, I mostly just played along with music, but I never really learned note for note stuff. Um, but I would I would find like I can remember I was playing this one this guitar that I bought in my friend David Warren's house who had a, a Tisco Tisco. Yeah. Um, he was a little better than me. He could play you know eight chords. And he would play his chords, you know, um, and I could find two notes that worked. Then I'd find two more notes that worked, and I'd see this little box coming. And I'd he would play his chords that he knew, and I would noodle my notes that I could play. You know, and, and it yeah. kind of was, it's always been a little bit like that. I have um had some some instruction along the way but it was it wasn't early on were, were there a lot of people your age playing around in your neighborhood at that time like they would get together you know friends like that no no in fact there's one there was one 
girl, maybe two years older than me. I think her name was Nancy. And she was a bit of a star because she could play and sing, you know, pretty good. Um, and, you know, you'd hear her at, you know, school or whatever. Right. And there was David Warren who was down the street. And there were a couple other kids that I didn't know very well who were a little, maybe they were a little rough, you know, uh, and um, a little wilder kids, you know, and then they, they, you know, uh, they could play. I remember one guy, uh, Tom Pinkston, had a red Stratocaster-looking guitar. I believe now, as I reflect back, it was a Hagstrom, those red Hagstroms. And he could really play. I mean, that guy could, from what I could tell, who knows whether he could play or not, because I'm still just remembering it. But, you know, there were some kids who could play. Um, and, you know, and by the time I was in junior high and I really got, you know, wanting to be a guitar player, um, there were guys with bands, you know, but... My problem with them is I liked certain things. We'll talk about that, you know, but they all wanted to play, you know, Kiss and Ted Nugent and stuff like that. And I just wasn't into that. So I never really connected with those, you know, five or six guys who had a band in high school, you know, or junior high. I can relate to that because, you know, for me, if I was able to find like, you know, like aged musicians, who had put in the amount of effort I had put in at a young age, they were never into what I was into. So that right. that's what eventually led to me searching out playing with adults, you know. It was just that's the frustration of not being able to find people my age. Yeah, I remember going down to the VFW Hall and playing with these great guys. This guy named Emmett Pugh. Emmett Pugh played violin with so much distortion because his amp was an old Gibson uh, EH-150 and he had a you know, some sort of early Barkus Berry stuck onto his violin. And he could play swing. These guys were all, I came, where I came up, it was sort of, you know, the the the, the Western swing was influential around Sacramento. Okay. And um, these guys, one of the guys was a rhythm guitar player, and he was the mayor of the town, actually. And Emmett Pugh, and some guy who I can't vaguely remember, but he played upright bass, and I just remember him making almost no note sounds it was all just a kind of thumping sound i couldn't discern any notes you know but we would get together and emmett was amazing he was on fire that guy and i would just try and play the tunes you know when we play rosetta and moon glow and and you know roly-poly and and take me back to tulsa and all that kind of stuff you know and so uh, they didn't teach me so much but they encouraged you know that was the first time i ever uh, you know, was around people who could play a whole song all the way through and they weren't trying to copy a, a record or anything, you know. Right. And what about in school? Was there any music in school for yeah. you? By the time I got to uh, high school, I guess in um, that, during that time, high school was 10th grade uh, because junior high was 8th and 9th as a separate, in a separate area, in a separate school. I went to a Catholic school until seventh grade then i moved to the public school eighth and in eighth grade but uh so by the time 11th grade came along uh, i don't know how old you are when you're 11 maybe 14 11th grade 15 maybe um there was a guitar class um in the music department of the high school and it was quite a popular class and um by that time i could play a little bit i also got into the big band to play you know in those days it was you know, 
that was the job, right? Of course. For the rhythm guitar player. And, um, and I remember talking to Steve Alfrey, who was the music teacher at the school. Um, he was very supportive. He played a little classical guitar, and so he was very supportive. In fact, a wonderful guitar player named Steve Holman, who, who lives still in Sacramento, is a really, really great guitar player. He was about four years before me or three years before me, so the, the legend of Steve Holman loomed large in, in, in uh, you know, the, the music room there. Um, wow. But anyway, I remember after, I don't know, a couple of weeks of big band practice, I asked my teacher, I said, you know, what I really want to do is I want to play like the horns are doing. I want to play the whole song with, with like a, like the, and he kind of shook his head and sort of scratched his chin and said, Tim, I don't know. That doesn't sound like that's possible, you know. <laughs> and, but I remember very, very distinctly wanting to play the whole song. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the beginning of what I'm still trying to do right now <laughs> to, <laughs> to this moment. You know, play the whole song. Yeah, well, I mean, and you do that brilliantly. So I, I mean, I am curious about that. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little more. Your style, but who was the first person you heard play in that way that kind of freaked you out? Yeah, um, it was probably Joe Pass. Yeah, okay. I know that Joe yeah. Pass loomed large in my early development. Um, the um, but but it could also been Tiny Grimes because Ooh, I remember man. somehow I got an somehow and I don't know how this happened. I went to the record store to buy my dad a record for his birthday, and I picked out Art Tatum trios. It was a, a kind of a gray record, a double album. I haven't seen this particular um, uh, record reissued, although I'm sure the music exists in other packaging, you know. Um, and I didn't have any idea what it was. I just thought, well, my dad's old and he would probably like this old music or something. And I couldn't get him to listen to it. He probably never listened to it once. I gave it to him and he kind of, because my dad wasn't very musical. I don't think he really listened to music in the car or anything like that. Um, but I listened to it. And if you're familiar with that trio, Art Tatum, Slam Stewart, and Tiny Grimes. Mm -hmm. Tiny Grimes played a four-string guitar. I believe it was tuned like the top four strings of a regular guitar. I think you're right. Uh, but, and he played mostly rhythm guitar and, and took melodic solos, but there were some chordal sounds in there that I, were, I found very intriguing. Another source was probably Howard Roberts. And through a very interesting backward way, um, the TV had, uh, I was, I was in the summer times, I was allowed to watch TV in the morning. And there was always a few shows that I liked to watch one of which was the Beverly Hillbillies. And sure. in the, sure. in the Beverly Hillbillies, there were some very short cues, guitar cues, like uh, all three of them walk into the, the front door of the mansion and the door closes. And then there's a little cue and it might've, might've been something like, you know, uh, right, yeah. right. And I think it was probably Howard Roberts. I don't think it was Barney Kessel, um, but I would have to go back and review, you know, because I just have this, these, this sort of slightly, almost not quite photographic musical memory. Um, and that was a big thing for me too, because I heard that sound of a clean, pure guitar 
that sounded warm and round instead of the fu more buzzy and fuzzy guitars that I had heard. Yeah. Um, it really appealed to me and it sound and it and the tiny Grimes connection. And so I was kind of hooked on jazz guitar um, as we as I was understanding it. I also really liked blues guitar. Um, that was more about the individual notes. You know, I went crazy for um, the Bino album, which I think a lot of people do. I just, oh, yeah. just, you know, I can hear that record in my head, you know, now. Uh, I really liked Lightning Hopkins. Um, and I would listen to this music in the living room after school, and my mom would come in and say, it's making me a little nervous, you know. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, I, I remember, you know, having that Art Tatum record and the Lightning Hopkins record and the Bino record, um, and amongst other things, we're, we're in really strong rotation during my formative listening years when I realized I could, I'd gotten an electric guitar by then and could, you know, I could play a little bit and, you know. Wow. What was the first electric guitar? Um, my brother had found out I liked guitar and he loaned me a nice Martin 0018, which I, which I kind of became my first real good guitar. And then I remember I went, I wanted an electric guitar. I took a really, a quick little side trip to uh, electric bass because I, um, I thought that maybe it would be fun to do that, but it turned out I, I didn't enjoy it much. Um, and so I, I, but then I remember putting a guitar on layaway in a town, uh, not like the next town over from where I lived. And my sister drove me over there and I put, money down on a, a what apparently was an Ibanez no name Les Paul okay. which I wish I still had because I remember it being a very very good guitar yeah and, so like the, the lawsuit era yeah or, or maybe just before the lawsuit era because it you know it was still it didn't have Ibanez written up there it had oh, okay. no name at all yeah. um, but I think it was probably Tokai or Ibanez you know um, and that was my first electric guitar and um and I ordered through the, through the mail order, a trainer amplifier. I have no idea why. Wow. I, don't, I wonder but how you arrived on that. Yeah. I, it was in some catalog. It was just in a catalog. I don't know why it was there, it, but and it, they were from Canada, oddly. And it was a, it was a 212, it was a twin tube amplifier with a master volume, mm -hmm. which I had no idea how to, uh, how to use. I, I didn't understand it. But anyway, that was my first uh, electric guitar rig, and um, I used it, you know, until I mean, the, the whim of chasing guitars has always been strong with this one. <laughs> with all of us. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I've traded and bought and sold so many guitars. Yeah. Wow, that's well, you could have done much worse, though, on your first rig. It sounds like pretty solid. <laughs> Yeah, even that little nylon string guitar that I got, which oddly enough, for some reason, I lost track of that guitar. I think I left it, it up on the in the music room at the high school, got this other guitar from my brother and just left that guitar there and completely forgot about it. Wow. <laughs> I've done that before, too. <laughs> oh, amazing, man. Well, OK, so you're progressing, you're, you're, you're getting into jazz, you're listening to records, you're playing at school. You're playing at the VFW, playing Western Swing and stuff. When when do you start to like you know play gigs or maybe make make some money playing the guitar? Yeah, um, 
Unlike you, I th I feel like you had maybe a little help or a little bit of a, a different type of town you lived in. Um, I didn't know about clubs or sitting in or jamming or anything. I just wasn't, my, my people didn't know about that, you know? Um, <laughs> so uh, I remember playing um, a solo guitar recital at, at, in junior high. I played, uh, I played a song called Pigtown Fling, which is a Stefan Grossman ragtime piece. Cause I was, I, my, I, cause I couldn't figure out how to be in a band. I didn't want to play those songs. I had an acoustic guitar and I really loved, you know, the whole ragtime blues, you know, thing, kicking mule records were, you know, something I was, cause it had a tablature book inside and, I loved Blind Blake and I loved all that old anything. I went through a period of time right around that same time where I'd go to the record store and if there was an old black guy holding an acoustic guitar, I would just buy the record, mm -hmm. you know, with my paper out money or something. Wow. So I, I listened to a lot of, you know, scratchy records. And, but anyway, I learned this song, Pigtown Fling, and I think I might have played and sang a tune or something. I remember sitting on the right side of the stage and playing this tune and, you know, getting a nice applause from the audience um did a few you know those types of high school recital type things i remember playing bach invention number four with a flute player um two-part invention and that was later on in a similar high school kind of thing um but i remember there was an older guy at our school who played trumpet and his name was if you can believe it jose bueno and my joke was ah that jose bueno he thinks he's joe good <laughs> uh, and um, he put a record out, which which was for me like, oh my God, this guy put a record out. He's he's that's what I want to do, you know. And he got a job, I think, an adjunct sort of assistant in the to the in high school. This was by the time I was in high school, and he picked up me and Steve Ackley and I can't remember who, maybe Danny Pertell on drums, and and he got a gig at some you know, VFW hall or something in a, in a little town nearby. And we went and played the gig and he had some charts and maybe about, we had about 45 minutes worth of music, which we played, you know, three times or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it that was my first and I got paid for that one. Yeah. Which is, I was probably, I must've been a great 15. feeling, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. And it also taught me something. Um, because we got, you know, it was so funny. You know, there's this cliche that the drunk guy coming up to the bandstand. Of course. And, and I've read about this. And some drunk guy comes up and says, why don't you play Melancholy Baby? You know, I mean, and, those, and literally a drunk guy came up to the bandstand and told us to play Melancholy Baby. I could not believe it. But it was so funny. And, and we were all just having fun. We didn't understand. I mean, the the, the leader was probably only three or four years older than us, you know, and, sure. and um, but I remember something that stuck with me really, really strongly. Someone said, do you guys know strangers in the night? And I said, I know it. They pointed at me and I went, uh, strangers in the night, exchanging glances, I don't know anything more of that song. <laughs> you 
you know, since I've learned it, but you know what I mean? I thought I knew the song. And so I launched into it and they're all like following me and watching my fingers. And then the second phrase of the song, I had no idea where it went. <laughs> and so what it taught me was uh, be more prepared. <laughs> But it was, you know, now I think about it and it's absolutely hilarious. But it, you know, it was one of those things where I kind of just like, you know, really screwed the pooch, you know, <laughs> but learned a good lesson from it. We've all, we've all been there. And again, <laughs> nothing like that on the job. Like when you figure, when you make a mistake like that, or even just a snafu, you know, it's like, oh, well, that'll never happen again. Once you've done yeah. it the one time, that, that thing never happens again. Yeah. And also, I don't know about you, but do you ever notice also that if you have, if you don't know a song, but you learn it on the bandstand, like somebody calls it and you say, well, I, if the bass player knows it, I, I never forget those ones. Never, never. Right. Once I play it on a gig situation, it's there. It's, it, it'll be recalled back. Yep. But oh, I've yeah. had gigs where I read a book, you know, where the gig had a show or something and I read the yeah. book. I read the yeah. book for a year and I couldn't remember that stuff. Yeah, when you because because you're just relying on the paper. Yeah, yeah, it yeah I know that exactly the, the feeling. Yeah, right. It doesn't engage the part of your brain that that remembers stuff. <laughs> anyway, so so when you when you're getting ready to finish school, have you already kind of decided you know that this is your life? Like you're you know oh, this absolutely. is what you're. Yeah, I, I was, I was you know, I was ready to to. I mean, I knew within the first couple of, you know, months of it, that's what, this is what I'm a guitar player. You know, I know there was no question to my parents' credit. They didn't really try and talk me out of it or force me to do something. I, I would have been miserable um, going to a state college or something at the age of 18, right out of high, high school. Um, it might have been good for me, but I would have been miserable. I wasn't in the state of mind that would have made that beneficial for me. So I moved out. I did. I just started doing it. You know. So, so what doing? What were you doing? Just any kind of gig you could get your hands on, basically. Any kind right of gig. Yep, trying to get into a band, taking solo gigs, um, but because I worked in a music store and a record store, sort of alternately, I was a you know I'd get hey, do you want to play? at my, you know, this funeral or whatever, you know. Um, and, um, but then I did this thing where I'd been out of, I'd been out of high school and working at a guitar store or a music store. I can't remember which one it was at the time. I'd moved out of my parents' house and I had my own car. I bought my, I bought my dad, I bought a car for my dad, who was our family car, a little Volkswagen bug. And I'd moved out to a, like a house full of hippies and I decided to take a trip and I'd saved up about $1,200. I had a Martin guitar. Um, can't really remember how I got it, but, but I, I, I think I might've paid $300 for this old Martin um, and, uh, and a Volkswagen. And I took the passenger seat out of the Volkswagen and I, and I put an ice chest in its place and laid a piece of plywood so I could sleep in my car. And I took a road trip and I ended up, it was the summer between, I turned 18 and, you know, right at the first day of school. Or I mean, I, I, I turned the age you're supposed to be, to be in the class right on the first day of school or something like gotcha. that. So this was like right before I turned 18. Um, I, I left and I drove around 
<laughs> trying to figure shit out, you know? I mean, my, my, my stupid fantasy image was I was going to go to Mississippi and sit under a tree with an old black man and he was going to teach me how to play. I mean, I literally thought that, and, and, I, and I went to uh, like uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, because I was going to get into Clifton Chenier's band. Wow. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, like, you know, I was so insulated or naive. I had no idea, Josh, what the world was like outside of Woodland, you know. Uh, but I left and did all these things. I remember driving through northern North Texas and pulling into some place, and they were having a, a square dance in the in the other room adjacent to this restaurant. And the guy took a shine to me. You know, I told him, you know, I'm a little kid, really, literally driving my car around. Um, and he said, "Hey, you like jazz guitar? Yeah, I like jazz guitar." Let me show you some stuff. He, played, he took me in the back room and put on this reel-to-reel tape, and there was some guy just burning on Western swing numbers, right? And then I sat and listened, watched the square dancing, and the next day I got in my car and drove away. I mean, little experiences like that all over the place. I just wandering around, walking by in, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and a guy, I hear Charlie Parker. And I had already heard Charlie Parker. In fact, he was huge. I heard Charlie Parker, and it, like, completely explode to my brain and I, I'm walking down a street in a town I just drove into and I hear Charlie Parker so I go and knock on the door <laughs> and I say hey I really like Charlie Parker too and it turned out that this guy was kind of a hippie um, you know there was a, a university I think in that town um, I'm not maybe not exactly right about that but he was quite he was kind to me and I remember him inviting me in and we chatted and he told me about a gig that you know he, he knew about and I could go and you know sit in or you know open mics and all that kind of stuff all around and I ended up being in New Orleans I got a great New Orleans story I drove down into New Orleans I'd never been in a bar before in my life. And in New Orleans, you know, I could get into a bar. So I walk into this bar and I order a beer, which I'd only drunk in, you know, beer maybe a, on a few occasions badly and thrown up in high school or whatever. Um, so I order a beer and there's a band playing, kind of Dixielandish sort of older vintage jazz, not quite Dixieland. And he brings, you know, the, I sit down at a table and all of a sudden two beers show up. And I, I think excuse me, sir. <laughs> I only ordered one beer. He said, two drink minimum, kid. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they bring them both at the same time. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm sitting there listening in, I'm drinking my beer. And there's a guy at the bar who's really making a ruckus. And, you know, drunk and kind of obnoxious and, you know, laughing real loud and kind of I'm, I'm wanting to watch the music. And, and that goes on for a while. And I'm drinking my beer. And then the band takes a break. And uh, I hear the band leader walk over uh, toward the bar and say, oh, hello, Mr. Ellis. Uh, really nice to meet you. Thank you for coming in. And, you know, you know, and I turn around. It was one of my heroes, Herb Ellis, Jeez. in a pair of plaid, Jeez. green plaid pants and a green plaid uh, sports jacket. And him and a woman who we would befriended were rather drunk and having, you know, an evening. Uh, and I couldn't believe it. I, I like chased after him. <laughs> Oh <laughs> on the streets in New Orleans to say hello and shake his hand. <laughs> but it was an interesting part of my life. Well, amazing that you, you know, you had saved up this money and you just left. You just went on this trip. Yeah, That's yeah. Crazy to me. It, it, it was pretty screwed up, too, because I remember 
um, like three months into this trip, my car broke down. And for some reason, I, I called my mom. I don't know what, you know, promoted that idea, but maybe I, I could, I, I don't know. I was really low on money and I called my mom. And she, ha she didn't know where I was. She had no idea that I actually left town. She just wondered where I was. And she said, well, we got this insurance um, bill. They, tra they tracked you down and sent you the insurance bill for your car, but, but it said that you had canceled it. And in my brilliant mind at the age of 17, I said, well, I don't need car insurance. That's something I, I don't need to pay for. And, and I just, you know, I mean, gosh, it was just, I, the level of stupidity uh, was incredible. But, you know, like, in, and, and I was a bad, bad child. I mean, my mom didn't know where the hell I was. That's crazy. <laughs> and I was on this quest, you know, I was so single-minded, Josh, that, that all I was trying to just, you know, I went to Vicksburg, Mississippi, and the first black man I saw on the street, I said, where can I go to hear blues? And he said, well, you know, you can go down there where the white boys go, and you can get it by the, well, you can drink it there, or you can take it with you. And he, he thought I said booze. Right, yeah. <laughs> or or he didn't want to deal with my question. I don't know. Interesting. But, you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, if there was a line for me to stand in that said, you know, uh, a stupid white kid who wants to learn how to play music, I would have stood in that line, but there wasn't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I just had to, you know, like do that thing. You know, you just poke around and you, you know. Man. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's so cool, though, that you were so single minded, like you said. I mean, it takes a lot of dedication to just search it out that to that degree like you know this is what i want to do this is what i want to be doing and i'm going to find it somewhere and i and i got to tell you josh from recollection i didn't i wasn't very good i, I didn't i i wasn't playing good at the time i wasn't like a, a, like you were by the time you were you know a, a teenager i'm sure you were killing I, I wasn't very good i there were a lot of things i could have learned but i didn't like how to keep good time and, you know, how to play, you know, you know, better, <laughs> play with other people. Well, I, when, I wasn't. When do you feel like you started to then really become a professional? Well, I, I came back from that trip and, and sort of licked my wounds. You know, I, it was a, for me, it was, you know, maybe about five or six months. And I ended up like in way up in Wisconsin, um, just following gigs, you know, just like we following the situation and I was in Wisconsin and the guy I was had hooked up with and was traveling with had some gigs. So that was very, very helpful. Um, he was kind of a folk singer and I would noodle guitar while he, you know, and sing background while he sang his songs, you know, basically he was a single and who needed a guy, a young kid with a car or something to get to the, yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, we'd, we would travel up and down the road and play gigs. And then he, we were up in Wisconsin. He said, well, I want to go to New York and so I'll see you later. <laughs> And I didn't have any gig or any money. I'd run out of my money. So I just started driving home um, and barely made it. You know, it was a, it was a comedy of errors. Um, but anyway, so when I got home, I went and found another job at a music store and, and uh, started teaching guitar again and, um, and playing gigs when I could and getting into little bands and, you know, all that same stuff. And, and so, okay. So then, 
when I mean, when does it become, you know, because there's always that moment when like it flips from like, okay, I'm kind of, you know, playing gigs and and, you know, paying my bills to like, you know, feeling like a like a real serious like good musician you know when did you feel that 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 happened uh i'm hoping i'll feel that tomorrow <laughs> come on come on man. <laughs> no i but no it was um because i wasn't a band guy because i hadn't like you 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 your training was on a bandstand with other guys yeah, yeah absolutely right? my training wasn't my training was mostly by myself trying to figure out what to do so i would get gigs I never had like a regular gig when I was younger because, you know, I didn't know what you had to do to do that, you know? Um, and, you know, there's also this, who knows, I, I could psychologize it all, but all I want, but um, I was playing, I was teaching. So that was how I was, you know, what was the consistent thing is I was a guitar teacher. Um, and uh, I sometimes feel like I should pay everybody back. Uh, <laughs> you know, I should give all that money back because I'm, I don't think I was a very good guitar teacher. But um, anyway, I was doing that and playing gigs and a lot of times playing solo receptions and things. You know, um, I have a recording of myself playing solo guitar when I was 17 or 18 that I went over to one of the guys from that Western Swing um, group. Right. A gathering and, and uh, recorded. He had a reel to reel, and I went over to his house and recorded about six or seven songs that I had been working up. Um, and and I listened. If I listened back to it, I haven't listened to it in years, but I remember listening back to it, thinking, "Well, I didn't. I was doing all right. I was making it." So I'd get gigs opening, you know, for uh, there was a a theater near in the town that I lived in that that had occasionally the jazz players would come and I knew the guy who ran the place so he'd invite me to play 20 minutes of solo guitar before mm -hmm. the famous person came on, those kinds of things. But it was never five nights a week. That happened later, of course. Um, but it was it was more just catch as catch can, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Those types did, of things. did you enjoy teaching back then when you were young? Yeah, I've always loved it. You know, I, I, I know that there are folks who teach, especially right now, around now, you know, there are people who are teaching who hadn't really thought of it until they couldn't play gigs, you know, but I've always loved teaching, you know, there's something about the one-on-one the -on -one interaction and the discovery. It helps me. I learned so much because I was trying to teach about it. You know how that Well, yeah. Works. I mean, that's, that's, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys you said who doesn't love it. And I've done more of it during this pandemic than I have ever done, really. And the biggest takeaway is, yeah, I enjoy helping other people find stuff. But what I enjoy the most, I think, is the stuff it triggers in me that I then go work on after I get off the lesson with the person. You're right. Like that. You know, and that's always been that way for me. You know, I sometimes in the early days, I was just staying one page ahead of, of my students, you know, one page in the book ahead, you know. Right. Um, but never be never been one to uh admit that i didn't know something and you know sort of pretend you do and then you go forward but uh, no i love teaching i still i still love teaching i don't want to do too much of it because i it does um take me away from my trajectory but l luckily though josh these days and you probably feel the same way i don't have to teach outside of my lane anymore like i used to have to yeah right 
You know, like I used to have to learn stuff that I would never have learned because my student wanted to learn it. And I think that ultimately helped me, brought it into my mind. But these days I can really teach sort of in my lane and, and people are coming to me for to learn what I know or what I do. And so that's nice. Well, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a, it's not just in teaching and in, in music too. It's like, like when I get called for sessions at this point now, I get called because of the way I play, not just because yeah. of a, you could play guitar. I need you to play whatever this thing is. And same with teaching people come to me cause they want to learn what I do, you know, or same with you. And yeah, that is, it makes it not easier, but more like, okay, like I, I could do this, you know? Yeah. It's also nice not to have to teach, you know, half an hour, you know, eight or 10 half an hour lessons for low dough to, to, you know, kids who don't really want to be there and tiny in a tiny little room. I mean, I did all that, but, but I'm glad I enjoy it a lot more now. I, I really love it actually. Cause I'm always studying. I'm always, I'm always, um, uh, enthusiastic to learn. And, and so teaching puts me kind of in a, in an environment where that's the expectation. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you're really good at it. <laughs> oh man so then as you've moved along you know through your process of becoming where you're at now you know what well first off actually I, I wanted to ask what did your parents think you got back from your trip and you you know you get a normal uh teaching job again or working at a music store and you're you're playing this gig and that were they worried about you like, oh, of like, course. Was, probably was this fad going to end? You know? oh, but, but, you know, Josh, I got to tell you, maybe it's not this, maybe this environment isn't the, the time to say it, but I mean, I've been worrying my parents, you know, all of my life, you know. Uh, yeah, I, you know, so they, they, I think, like I said, by the time I came along, they were a little bit worn out, you know, so they were just happy I didn't die, you know. No, he didn't. He's he dead yet. No, he's okay. So good. <laughs> yeah, but I guess. So. Eventually, I want to. I want to answer one little bit because I, I. I feel like you. You poked at it a little bit, and I, I sort of flopped around. But sure. eventually, I. I um, moved down to L.A., went to a year of G.I.T., and then oh, got wow. out of G.I.T. and taught there a little bit in the summers, and then was living in Los Angeles, um, realizing that there wasn't any. Um, jobs uh you know for a, a guy playing you know there were there were, i needed more jobs than i could find as a solo guitar player so i learned how to play country guitar and i learned how to play you know relatively okay classic rock guitar all these things i'd been hearing my whole life you know right. um i got this great gig at a russian restaurant playing russian music which i i didn't even i mean 200 songs a night that I never even knew the names of, but they would count them off and tell me what key and I would play, you know, Wow. the bass player would play the downbeat and I'd play the second beat, you know, because that's the kind of music. Um, I did that. I try, I avoided top 40 and heavy metal and stuff played in a couple of original bands. Um, went on the road with a fifties vocal group. Um, and, and, at that time, got to play with a lot of people on that circuit. I played with Little Anthony and the Platters and the Coasters and the Drifters. And, you know, the band I was in was the Diamonds. And they nice. carried their own band. And so we, I got, that was a really great, uh, sort of, that was probably my first real serious night after night professional, you know, band politics, road politics, road survival, all that kind of stuff. 
and I was probably 24 or five by the time that happened. Oh, so, so by then your parents probably started to breathe a little bit easier knowing you were, you were making a living. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, it wasn't, um, I don't, I really don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know did, what my you parents en- did you enjoy your year at GIT? I did. I stayed in Joe DiOrio's and Ron Eshte's room pretty much the whole time. <laughs> I was a really bad student. I mean, I have this, I was studying with Ted Green at, at the time. I started studying, studying with Ted in about 82, uh, going down to LA to occasionally to, to meet him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, stu- and, and then I, uh, went to GIT cause I was a fan of Howard Roberts's seminars. I went to a Howard Roberts seminar in high school. That was another part of my education uh, that, you know, those weekend seminars he used to do probably before your time. Um, and, uh, ended up at GIT and I realized that I was already learned. I'd already learned a lot of the classroom material, or at least I thought I did. And so, and, but there's Joe DiOrio sitting there and I loved him and I, and he liked me. And I, so I, he was there alternating with Ronnie Este. So on Ronnie's weeks, I'd tail around with him to the extent that he, he, he let me. And then with Joe, I'd just go in his room and hang out and, you know, bother him all day long. And, you know, and I participated in the school. I had friends that I still have now that I really enjoy uh, my friendship with, and I played in the ensembles and I did all that stuff. And, um, I did enjoy it. Um, I didn't participate in the program very much. I don't think people realize back then how much of a jazz school that it really was. It was a it was a jazz school and also a a Larry Carlton Robin Ford kind of school, and that a lot of guys with three thirty fives trying to play the sweet licks, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what about uh, Tommy? Was he ever around? Tedesco. Tedesco? Yeah. Tommy only came when I was there. Tommy only came to do, you know, the occasional seminar. And then he took us to the studio at the end of the program. There were guys who, uh, who sought him out. Um, I know a friend of mine, Bart Samolis, who was, who could read, he could sight read Donnelly. And, you know, I mean, it was like ridiculous how good he was. He's now a bass player, one of the top um, upright bass players in, in uh, like the film scoring industry in, in LA. Um, but uh, he, he actually, you know, went toward Tommy and tried, you know, cause he, he wanted to be a studio guitar player. Yeah. Um, I thought at the time I wanted to be the next Jim Hall. So that was, you know, <laughs> that was where I was headed, you know, of course. Right. Man. Anyway, so I did Man. all that. And then I got, I figured out how to be in a band, spent years being a side man, playing in casinos and playing in R&B, old school R&B, you know, learning all that stuff that I'd heard my whole life, but, you know, and, and trying to do jazz, you know, and trying to do everything, and, you know. Did you, I mean, was there, oh, well, we'll get to Ted Green in a second. But as far as, like, the, the playing in the band thing, was it always, like, a compromise for you? Was there something about oh, it, it that didn't as, feel right? It was hard as hell, Josh, because I didn't know how to do it. I wanted to play, like, um, let's say we're going to play Midnight Hour, and, and it's like, you know, <laughs> I wanted to go, you know, I wanted to play the song as I imagined it in my head. I, all my life, I always filled stuff in. And so consequently, one of the things I had to learn when I started playing in bands is not to step on everybody else's shit yeah, and play the guitar part, which was sometimes my least favorite thing on the record. 
you know, and, yes, uh, yeah. and stay out of everybody's way and play my little thing. That was hard for me. It was an, it was an ego battle, you know, because like here's a little thing that I kind of reminisced about. When you're young and you're, you have a, you know, a young man's ego, one of the things you want to do, at least what I wanted to do, was to stand out. Sure. And one of the things you have to learn if you're going to play in the pocket is to disappear. <laughs> yes, to some degree, absolutely. You know, I mean, fundamentally, if you're standing out and you're trying to play in a rhythm section, you're not in the pocket. You know, you might stand out for the occasional cool things, the things we love, you know, those little things that Cornell would do. You know what I'm talking about. But, but half the time, it's almost invisible what those guys, the greatest rhythm players are doing. It's really in there, deeply embedded into the fiber of the groove. Mm -hmm. And so for someone who wants to stand out and get noticed, that's not the right mindset to play in a rhythm section. You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that was, a, that was like a, one of those life lessons that you learn. And I learned them late because I had spent so much time you know, thinking I wanted to be, you know, uh, um, a solo guitar hero. Yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, you said, so you started driving down to see Ted Green. How did you even hear about him? I'm always oh, curious, because every, everybody here in L.A. has some crazy story about how they first met him and went to the house and all this, and it's, it's very interesting to me. <laughs> Yeah. So I was aware of Ted Green. I worked in this guitar store and his books came out and the guitar okay. store carried them. And then uh, somehow I found about, out about his record, the one record that he made. I may have listened to that before, uh, you, know, at, at, you know, before this particular event that I'm going to tell you about. But then my, um, my boss at the music store wanted to go to the NAMM show. And this might have been 1978. Okay. Right? 79 maybe but probably 78 and he asked me if i'd like to go to the nam show so we flew down to anaheim got you know stayed in a hotel and went to the nam show it was really funny because i walk into the nam show and the first guy I, that walks up to me is an old older man who walks up and says hey how you doing i'm mel bay shook my hand <laughs> oh, and wow. gave me a little packet of mel bay propaganda you know and i thought to myself holy shit <laughs> That was Mel Bay. So I'm wandering around the NAMM show and, and I meet Herb Ellis. Uh, and he wasn't, he was in good shape this time, you know, at the NAMM show. He, he had the Aria had released a, a, a Herb Ellis model guitar and he was yeah. there at the booth. And I played that and I played for him and he gave me a pat on the head. Good way to go, kid. And um, I'm, I ran into all sorts, you know, I saw all sorts of stuff. As you know, NAMM show is still kind of like that, you know. Yeah. Now you're one of the guys, people that they go to the NAMM show and they say, oh, I met Josh Smith. He was just standing there. He was playing somebody's pedal, you know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, I walked past the Dale Zednick booth and there was Ted playing a telly with his leisure suit on and in front of a whole wall full of, you know, covers of, you know, the books that he had made. Right. Um, and I just stood there transfixed and I did not talk to him, but I stood in front of him for, I don't know, seems like all day, but it must've been 15 or 20 minutes, you know? Right. Um, and then later after that, cause then that's where I really went, you know, okay, this is the dude. 
You know, this is the guy. He plays so beautifully, and I like the Telecaster, and he looked cool, and he was shy, and he wasn't an asshole from what I could tell. You know, he was beautiful and sensitive. And um, so I was playing jazz in Sacramento, going over and playing gigs and hanging out and sitting in and doing the whole thing. Um, and a guy named... Uh, Doug Pauly said, I had played an arrangement of Fly Me to the Moon um, at a jazz gig that I was, I asked if I could play on the breaks. Some other older guys, you know. And so I played, I played Fly Me to the Moon and Foggy Day in London Town and Alone Together and Autumn Leaves or something like that. And so this guy, Doug Pauly, who's still in Sacramento, from what I understand, said, hey, um, I hear you like Ted Green. I have his telephone number. Would you like it? And I said, yes, I would. Uh, and he gave me his telephone number. The next day, I think, I called Ted on the phone at around 7 in the evening. And, you know, we're in the same... I was up in Sacramento, and he was down in yeah. L.A. And um, he was... He talked to me for, like, a half an hour on the phone. Just a guy out of the blue. He And it was funny. He said, here, just a second, Tim. Um, I, I'm, I hear what you're saying. I'll be right back. And then he came back to the phone about 30 seconds later. He said, I'm filming, I mean, I'm recording a Jimmy Cagney movie that I like the music for, and I had to flip over the tape. And so, you know, <laughs> you know, that's just so such a Ted thing. Like he, record, he recorded off the TV with a VCR old movies because he liked the music and he right. would learn. Anyway, so then I studied with him via the mail. But he was really bad at that. I'd send him $5 and with a question. And then a month or two months later, I'd get this beautiful handwritten letter with three pages of his little dots, you know. And I'd work on it, you know, like this, you know. And, and um, finally, uh, it was uh, the, the gal I was with at the time, her parents lived in Agora. Okay. And so we went down there for Thanksgiving, and I called Ted and said, hey, I'm going to be down in, nearby you. Uh, this was probably 1983, maybe 82. I can't exactly recall. Um, and I said, can I come for a lesson? And he was living in his parents' house at that time in Woodland Hills on Winnetka Street. And the day after Thanksgiving, I went over to his house and, and had about a two or three hour lesson in the afternoon. That was the first time I met him. And, and, and then I only studied with him very sporadically after that. After I moved down to L.A., I would go up and see him, but I had no car. So it was hard for me. You know how it is. You can't, if you're in living in Hollywood, you can't get to, you know, the Valley very easily, you know, right. by bus or whatever. So yeah. anyway, yeah. I did my best and he would always load me up with, you know, tons of stuff and pat me on my head and send me on my way. That's crazy, man. It's been interesting interviewing a lot of guys, LA guys, and they all have their, their stories, you know, about the going to the house and the clutter and the, the you know, the, all the things. Yeah, and, yeah. right. The yeah. clutter wasn't as the clutter wasn't such an issue. And during in my early days, when he moved to the apartment in Reseda, I think it was Reseda, um, it got worse. And he was only, you know, after a while, he was only teaching in there and he was, you know, uh, sleeping and living at Barbara's house. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah the, all those stories, uh, I. I loved him so much, you know. He helped me so much. He has a really huge impact. Him and Joe DiOrio, uh, uh, I've been fortunate to meet and, and and study with or, you know, learn from many, many wonderful people. But those two guys just kind of loom large for me. Yeah, well, how could they not? I mean, geez, Louise, talk about genius, both of them. Yeah. Oh, 
And that, before we get into the 10 questions, you mentioned the telly there for a second because of Ted. Did you play a telly before Ted? And when did the telly become a thing for you? I got my first telly. I went down to Oakland and uh, from, from Davis, a friend of mine took me, you know, uh, who was familiar with the neighborhood. And I got a, a what, what was probably a nice old 50s telly. And it didn't cost me very much money, but it was all stripped. And it had a, a mini humbucker up here and just a regular telly bridge in the back. I wish I still had that guitar, and, and, but, I, but I got it before I moved down to L.A., a couple of years before I moved to L.A. And I used it on my sort of um, early band explorations, like when I was trying to learn how to play in, you know, uh, R&B bands or blues mm-hmm. bands and things like that. I had a Stratocaster before that, but I lost that Stratocaster somehow, how things go, you know. You just lose guitars. You just leave them, huh? Well, you know, no, I don't know if I lost it, but, but you know, you got to pay your rent. I mean, you're down to oh, like yeah. nothing. And you got this guitar yeah. you can get, you know, $200 for or something like that. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, so then I had that guitar um, and let it go and then got another one and let it go. Um, so because for some reason, I had been playing an ES-175, a 1952 ES-175 was my main guitar. And compared to that, the telly was still a little foreign feeling to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had them, and I played them when it was necessary. Um, I wish I had kept that guitar and maybe even bought two or three <laughs> dozen more at that time, because you could, you, could you could get into them relatively reasonably. Um, but I didn't really become a dedicated telly guy um, until later. You know, okay. a few years later, I couldn't play the ES-175 anymore. I mean, it was stuffed. It was like a, a you know, underwear drawer in there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and then it just became untenable. You know, the style of music that I was being asked to play and all of that, I ended up either using strats or tellies after that. Nice. You know. Nice. All right. Let's uh, let's get into our 10 questions here. Okay. All right. So. We did kind of touch on some of these, but it'll be good to get. I'll the, do my best not to be the, uh, the skinny. Uh, reiterate. <laughs> when, number one, when you first started learning and playing, what was the first thing that when you figured it out, you you know it, you were hooked after? It was like you can't believe you just learned this. You know, it was just blew your mind. <laughs> You know, Sloop John B. For some reason, wow. Oddly enough, I thought it was a Beach Boy song, of course, and 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 my mom said, "Oh no, that's an older, much older song than that." Wow. Oh, Mr. Viberlux is uh, is acting badly. Um, uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So that was the first to be able to play that D chord and add the sus. Yeah. And, and you know, man. And then also, uh, "Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man" by Bob Dylan was another sure. early song. Yeah. Um, and then and then all and then I learned how to do these kinds of things. Or all that stuff. I got that, you know, by listening to Lightning Hopkins and you know, yeah. and those all those things are all mixed together. I'm not sure which, you know, that and this thing. <laughs> which was my sort of you know pretty fucking hip though to be listening to Lightning Lightning Hopkins as a teenager in Sacramento, California. 
<laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, I was I feel fortunate. I don't know how I got it. But like I said, it was this it was the black man on the cover of a record with a guitar. You know, I had Mance Liscomb and Furry Lewis and Lightning yeah. Hopkins yeah. And, and Blind Blake and Reverend Gary Davis. I mean, those guys, I mean, that's what I wanted to play. And so I was this yeah. alien dude, and, you know, compared to what my friends were into, you know. Oh, yeah, especially at that time. I mean, yeah, you're talking about Kiss, yeah, 70s. I mean, yeah. Yeah, or, or even just like uh, Me and You and a Dog Named Boo, or <laughs> you know what I mean, which is a dumb old song, which you probably don't even know. It's like a pop, you know, top 40 radio song, you know. Wow. Oh, okay, so you said you didn't really learn solos note for note or anything like that. But was there ever one that you just you 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 wanted to learn note for note, or that you, you yeah? Put, I mean, I, I learned uh, I learned from from the Layla record, and pr before that, even the the Bino record. I I think I learned a lot of stuff. Like for instance, uh, there's a solo I could probably uh, I don't know. Anyway, I learned how to I learned how to fumble my way through stepping out and hide away, and sure. that song. There's a. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, my little girl. I'm, yeah, yeah, my little girl. I I just played it by ear. I didn't use the bends that he that I remembered learning, but so it's all in there. That one in the Layla record, I wore that out and learned, you know, like, you know, have you ever loved a woman and key to the yeah. highway and I didn't really learn them. I didn't ever sit down with my guitar and try and learn them, but I or put the move, move the needle. I just played along with them a lot like that. And yeah. live at the Regal, I, live at the Regal was like every day after school. I would, you know, after I got that Les Paul, I would be playing along with BB King. I mean, what better band could you play along with? You know, yeah. of course, I didn't learn all of the things that you might have learned on a bandstand where you shut up when the guy's singing and you don't just play, you know, noodly leads the whole time. Yeah. Um, but that's what I, that's, that's, man, it's funny. The my little, I mean, the Bino record so important for people your generation. I don't want to make it sound like you're older, but you are older than me. I am. So, I'm 20 years older than you. Yeah. So I mean, there's a, an amazing video recently that just came out of nowhere of Stevie Ray sitting in a bedroom somewhere playing a Les Paul, and he plays that solo note for note jokingly. But all I can see when I watch that video is. Oh, that's him when he's 12 years old on the edge of his bed, and he'll never forget it. That that he right. looked like a little kid doing it. You know, it was like amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That record also exposed me to a couple of other things that I'm really profoundly uh, happy about. For instance, I learned about Mose Allison from that record, right? Because uh, John Mayall did Parchman Farms, you know, and then I went to you know, and and Mose Allison is probably my biggest influence. Uh, um, in blues away from guitar if that's too, that. that's slicing right. it too thin you know like i learned there's a song called or a, a, there's a record called mose allison's greatest hits and then there's another one which has a lot of the same tunes on it called mose allison sings i still sing all those songs you know if, if someone yeah. says hey tim why don't you sing one i'm gonna sing one of those songs yeah know? yeah so i so that record yeah it, it, it all connected up and i'm you know yeah i mean there's a reason it was a a big watershed moment for so many. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it is a special m moment in time. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Number three, what's the first thing you play every time you pick up a guitar? Do your hands just go somewhere? Mm -hmm. 
I play a kind of, I like the key of F. And so I'll usually play something. Because that's what key your mom played piano in. Yeah, maybe. And I'll play some sort of, um, uh, you know, kind of melodic chordal passage. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's maybe the, the most recent thing that I would play. I, I've had times when I played, you know, <laughs> you know, all of those things too. It all depends on sort of where my head's at, you know. But yeah, I, I, I like to, I'm not a very good practicer, Josh, but what I do is I, I play music that I like and I search inside of it and I play it, you know, around, I, go, I, I, I do what I call musing. It's just my own little way of saying something besides noodling. <laughs> sure. But I, I, muse, I muse on a tune, you know, I hear, and I hear it in my head and I'm trying to grab it out of the guitar. So that's, that's usually what I do is I pick it up. And it also helps me determine whether a guitar is playable or, for me or not, is if well, yeah. I play something. Yeah, that was part of that's the B side of this question. Like if you go in to try out guitars, is there something you do that lets you know, you know, that this guitar can work for you or not or if it's comfortable? Yeah, I try I try things um like I like this part of the guitar. Oh, that sounded weird, but um um that sort of sound up there, you know. I love to hear if a guitar sings up there. Sometimes they don't. Um, and I'll play that kind of thing. That's my version of this, <laughs> which, is, which, which is what a lot of hip guitar players might play because it's sort of self-contained. Yeah. You, know, you play a low E and then you can play those beautiful, um, yeah. you know, uh, things. Oh yeah, I'm guilty. Absolutely. No, we, it's not something to be feel bad about. It's <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> uh, well, that that leads me into this question: what what kind of groove or key style song is there? Something you hear like like a narration that goes by? Is it always that that kind of you know circle of fifths, just uh, you know moving through changes type thing, or uh, do you have a certain other kind of groove that kind of lives in your head or style? as you're cooking breakfast or something. Yeah, uh, for the very, very longest time, it was um, it's this kind of a, a jazz blues thing, you know, and and um, I would spin it uh, walking down the street with, you know, always, it was always going. Um, and that still can be the default position. Uh, and, and um, but it's me playing. It's not mm. uh, listening to the sound of, you know, one of my favorites, but these days more and more, it's a tune that I'm musing about. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll, I'll play rent. I'll play variations and renditions in my mind when I'm away from the instrument. Yeah. Um, like I was uh, like uh, willow weep for me came up into my brain this morning. And I, so I played it for a minute and, and like for the rest of the day, I have a feeling it'll, you know, me spinning through willow weep for me, in some fashion, improvising on the changes, playing the melody, trying to find inner yeah. voices or whatever, you know. That's cool. So so when you, okay, so if you're in the car and a piece of music comes on you've never heard before, do you pay attention to, like, what your initial thought is a lot of the time? Is it an improv over the top? Is it a reharmonization? Is it just listening to the groove? You know, where, where do you go normally? 
Okay, well, I have to say I don't listen to music in the car. I just, I, I don't like to listen to music when I can't just listen to it. Oh, okay. So usually when I listen to music is um, when I'm ready to lay in bed, uh, I'll put, I'll have music on to, you know, listen to until I fall asleep. Um, uh, or other times when I have time and I, I, I want to learn a tune, or I'm studying or I'm just, you know, sometimes I might have music on in the background, but usually not. So, okay. um, so that actually promotes this other thing, which is the sort of the music that I have, the storehouse of music that I have inside of my head. Um, but you touch on something. I've always done this and, um, and I continue to do it. I fill things in. In, in, in uh, even the pop songs I was listening to on the radio when I was a kid, I was always um, improvising little connective noodles in between the melody. Mm. Like I'll try, I'm sorry, my, my guitar is acting funny. Um, I'll try and think of an example. Um, uh, I'm just mad about saffron. She's mad about me. I would sing that in my head when I was 10 years old. Right. And that's how I heard the music. That's why it was sometimes hard for me to be a guitar player in a band because I was always adding all this extra shit. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I, I always really loved that sort of the interwoven melody thing. Yeah. Well, this question may be simple for you, actually, it sounds like. Uh, it sounds like you from day one kind of knew what kind of guitar player you wanted to be and and by extension maybe what your voice would be on the instrument so like when did you feel like you started to kind of find it you know okay. you sounded like you knew the path you wanted to be on right away but when do you feel like maybe you you started to land on what is your voice you know yeah um i have a I, I hope this answer is not too long, but it, it, there's some sure, nuance yeah. to it. Um, I had been playing um, hot guitar, you know, uh, by the time I moved up to, I moved out of LA because I just couldn't get a regular gig down there. And, you know, lifestyle was not, you know, difficult. And then, you know, a kid comes along and there's, you know, a responsibility to live in a good neighborhood where there's good schools and that kind of stuff. And so we moved up to Seattle, my wife at the time and I, and the, and and uh, two two kids. Um, and I immediately started teaching, and I got a I got gigs right away, sort of of the five night a week, six night a week, seven night a week variety, mm -hmm. playing either in classic rock cover bands or for a big time what I call the Garth Garth Brooks scare of the early 90s um, which was sort of when pop country and dance you know line dancing so we were I was on this circuit for five or six years um, where you'd play seven nights or six nights in one club and you go to another club or maybe play two weeks in the club there was a circuit where you could play five or six clubs pretty much continuously and make you know whatever 350 bucks a week doing it you know it was like mm -hmm. pretty sick when you think about it but i was doing that in teaching um and um but i didn't and i and i was learning i learned a lot of danny gatton so i was kind of you know that's something else we have in common i could do a pretty good imitation of the hot country picker who played blues yeah. and jazz and and chicken picking right and that was kind of my my thing um and 
but I, but even at that time, I'd made a solo guitar record at that time, uh, which was very good, actually, uh, if I do say so myself for the time. It, it sounded good, and I think I played well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was selling cassettes of it to my students and things. Um, but on the gig, I wasn't playing like that. I wasn't playing myself. I was playing right. what anybody wanted me to do, as we all do when we're trying to do that. Um, but I got kind of dead inside. I didn't want to do it anymore. I was frustrated and, uh, and um, d- you know, things weren't making me happy. I was, you know, too much in the bars and not enough in the music. Um, so I took a break. Um, in 1994, I um, uh, made a big change. And I, um, I moved to a monastery and didn't play guitar for the better part of 12 years. Um, I had a, access to a guitar occasionally, and, and, but I was, you know, I, I wanted to figure out who was playing guitar. <laughs> and this is a big subject, probably not, you know, uh, we don't have time for it. But anyway, I checked out because I wasn't, I wasn't healthy as a hot guitar player. Um, uh, um, you know, there's certain sensitivities that I have and certain situations that I was in. Uh, so I checked out and I, and I tried to make myself maybe a little more healthy in my mind and my heart. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the line, though, you know, I couldn't shake the music. <laughs> and, and so uh, every day there was a, a meditation period that would last all day long. You know, you're in, in a, you know, a meditation um, retreat for, you know, sometimes five months out of the year, you know, three months at a time. And so, and I didn't want to just, I was dedicated and kind of focused and laser-like like I can be, uh, but I didn't want to uh, just sit there and dream about music all the time on the, on the meditation cushion because that wouldn't have been so good. So I made a deal with myself. I decided that the meditation period after lunch would be music time. And I would, without any guilt, I would sit on the cushion, you know, in a very beautiful posture. But what I was doing is I was playing music in my mind. Mm-hmm. And those, and 10 years of doing that um, crystallized something in my mind about not only why I wanted to play music, I recalled what the beautiful joy of it was, which had faded away when I was just grinding it out. And I, and I, started to hear the things I was, I could see, I could see how to play the things I was hearing. I was hearing a tone. I was hearing a sound that was perfect, you know, and, and it, and so when I left that life and got a guitar again, and I got a Telecaster and and a deluxe reverb and, and I just, I knew what I wanted it to sound like. So, you know, manipulating the instrument was, was just a matter of, reminding my fingers how to how to do it and but i so i did take i took a little bit of a break i i'm kind of a a late bloomer when it comes to um you know notoriety or being well known or known for anything uh because i i just had to take a break and i came back to it later you know wow i didn't know that tim that's amazing well, you know, your your audience might be among the first because I don't really advertise it. I don't lead with that. That's for sure. But <laughs> right. I think it's 
it's germane to this conversation and I don't, I'm not embarrassed by it or, or no, shy about would it. You be? Yeah. Uh, I just, I just feel like now would be a good time to say something about it so that, so that uh, people can maybe have a little insight into, you know, where I'm at. And to this day though, Josh, the things I gained from that time away, which were absent from my mind and heart before was this, I remembered what it was like to be a young kid, a little kid who loved music beyond belief and and how joyful I was about it. And I bring sure. that to, every time I pick up the instrument, I, re, I, I in, in instinctively sort of recall that, I, whether I'm teaching or playing or just amusing myself or learning something, it's, it's, it, it, it definitely allowed me to, to get straight with it, you know? Where was the monastery, by the way? Uh, the one I stayed stayed at most was in Rhode Island, really right, right near right near Duke's house. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> I mean, this is too. We can, we can you know have the 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 monk years episode sometime, but you know because there's lots of fun stories. Wow, man. sneaking out wow. and going and going over to Duke's house and <laughs> my friend Paul Kolesnikov would sneak out and go over to his place and we'd play. You know, this was after I'd been doing it for a long time and I was starting to inch my way toward coming back out into the world. I would. Right. How did, how'd you end up in Rhode Island of all places? Well, I got involved with a, a meditation, uh, tradition, a school, if you will. And their head temple was in Rhode Island. Wow. You know, there and you then go. I would go to Korea or Hong Kong or Singapore and traveled around a lot. And, you know, uh, did that because when you weren't in a retreat, you were traveling, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. <laughs> Shit. I don't know this question. Uh, number six. <laughs> Sounds trivial now, but what's your biggest weakness on the guitar, Tim? <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, it is, there are, they're there, they're, they're, they're there and I deal with them. Um, uh, something we spoke about earlier is, is, um, uh, time, feel, and locking in with other people, uh, ensemble playing, uh, playing like with Pearl Django, which we haven't even mentioned, which I'm a member of that band and I, we made, you know, three records since I've been in the band. Um, a lot of the things I do, which is to play in unison or a part in, in either unison or in harmony. And Michael Gray, the, the violinist is a real stickler for, for the, the parts being really well played together. Cause he, oh. his, his thing is, it, I don't want to sound like we don't know what we're doing. You know, that's, that's how way he says it. I can remember hearing great records like with Bill Frizzell and, and some other guys where the, the melody was kind of sloppily played. And I love that too, where sure. the two people were sort of feeling their way through the melody together, but learning how to play really in it with somebody else is something I hadn't had a lot of experience doing. Uh, so that was, that was something I continue to work on. Um, uh, Playing anywhere I want in the beat is something that I continue to work on. I think it's a weakness for most of us, and to and I certainly I knew it was certainly one for me. Um, um, playing something that somebody else played, note for note, or playing you know really learning a part off of a record that's a signature thing for the, I suck at that. I, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not very good at it. I, I don't like doing it. Yeah, I'm um, not the best at that either. I'm. I, I'm I'm not the best at learning other people's parts note for note. Yeah. Um, 
trying to think of some things that might be. It's interesting how most of the things you're talking about are time-based being that you, you, you've spent so much time playing by yourself. You, that would make sense, I guess, you know, not, not as much ensemble playing. Right. And, and, and I, I learned how over time, I mean, some of my early recordings that I can remember, like I dog, you know, little documentation, the biggest thing was, well, he's playing all the nice notes and he's playing all the nice chords. Then it's, everything's there, except he's rushing like a bitch, Yeah, you know? And, and so I had to learn how to, um, how to, keep good time. I accompanied singers for a lot of time, just two, two like guitar and singing. Mm-hmm. So I really mm-hmm. got strong at that, you know, uh, because, you know, you're playing with somebody else and you start rushing, they're going to tell you, don't do that. You know? Well, it's really interesting playing guitar and, and voice duo, because even if you have good time and even if the singer has good time, you both have different time, you know? Yeah. So it's, it is, you, you'll be, you know, not thinking you're rushing, but they're they're really dragging you down, anyways, and it's like you, you feel like you're rushing, you know. And it's yeah, always know, a constant shuffle. I play it in a duo with Jamie Finley, who you might run across. Jamie's a wonderful cat and a great guitar player, and we had been hovering around each other for years, not knowing each other, you know. And about four years ago, we decided to start playing together. And one of the things we noticed right off the bat, and and it was so cool because he said it almost simultaneously with me is that we agree on the time. It was like these two brains that would become one in terms of the time, you know? Yeah. And so it's really nice when that happens and it's not always true that it does, you know? Oh yeah, definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in those kind of settings, two people, no drums. Those, those are the most difficult I, I find to get, to get time to lock together. Yeah. 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 Depending on the kind of music, well, yeah. uh, you know, with, with swing music, it's a little easier because I'm pretty good at playing walking bass lines and, and that kind of establishes where the quarter note is and it's a little easier. But yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it's, it definitely is good good work. And then since I've been in, in Pearl Django, it's, I think it's improved even more in terms of the steadiness of it and it, the ensemble, uh, being able to do it in an ensemble and really lock my version of time in with everybody else. You know, um, but it's all it's it's a complete evolution. I I would imagine that that um, somebody at this whatever stage they're at at their in their life they could be really you know quite accomplished, but we still don't know when we're forty what we're going to learn between being forty and sixty, and because sure. we kind of just don't know what it is yet. We don't know what we don't know. So yep. I I feel yep. like I've just been picking away at this stuff just like a scab you know just picking away at it just trying to get better when the 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 need is there it's like okay you suck at this get better at that come on yeah exactly it's certainly never over as long as you have that mindset you're you're in good shape you know yeah um who's a huge influence on your guitar playing that maybe people would be surprised to hear um well, I mean, there's Mose Allison, which I love. He's more of an overall sort of presentation influence, and I just think he's a cool guy. Um, something we haven't mentioned at all is uh, um, I love Indian music, and Hari Prasad Charasia is a is a, a bansuri, uh, which is a bamboo flute. It's the simplest instrument. It's like a it's like a, a reed with you know a large bore reed with holes in it. Yeah, you know. And uh, he plays it so beautifully, and I listened to, to him a lot, and it was often, as Indian music is, just him unaccompanied or him with a drone or him with a tabla. And there's something about the sound he got, which is very round and beautiful and breath-filled, that influenced 
the sound of my instrument, the way I draw the note out. If I want, if I play this note, I don't want to hear any scratchiness. I want to hear just a pure, you know, that kind of sound. Yeah. Uh, so I, I reach in and pull that note out of the guitar rather than hit the string from a distance, you know, because and I think that comes from my love of piano, Bill Evans particularly, and also Hari Prasad because he could pl he could do that on the flute so beautifully. It just sounded like the most beautiful otherworldly voice, you know, just no seams, no scratchiness. All right, I need to listen to him then. I don't because that's oh yeah, dude, do yourself a favor, man. He's beautiful. He's beautiful. Really. All right. This I'm, I don't know the answer to this one. Would you rather have a good guitar and a bad amp? Or vice versa, a great amp okay. and a bad guitar on a gig. Yeah, I would say if I'm playing solo and, I, and I'm playing usually at a relatively low volume with a clean sound, I would rather have the guitar mm -hmm. uh, because so much of what I do on the instrument is so demanding and I need the guitar to be set up in a way that allows for it and I need to have this sort of low action, heavy strings, you know, and that whole thing. Yeah. But if I if I play if I was playing in a band, uh, and uh, there's a drummer and I'm in an ensemble and I'm a soloist basically, I would take the amp. Yeah, that makes a hundred percent sense to me, and it's why I choose the amp. You know, because it it it's what's makes me more comfortable. Uh, I could do I you know yes I'm going to be better with my guitar. But I, I know I'll be better with my amp and any guitar than I would be vice versa, normally. Yeah, and which which is ironic because we almost, you know, if we're traveling, we almost never get to play our own amp. Yeah, <laughs> never, know? never. Then you have to figure out how to make a an, an amp. Maybe another question that you might add to your list of questions is, if you get stuck with a sucky ass amp, yeah. what are some of your tricks to make it work exactly. for you? Yeah, because that's yeah. really real world, you know. Oh, totally. I mean, we've all been there a million times, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. But, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, so much of what you play is dependent on the ability to actually physically do that on the on your instrument. That, that would well, be. It, it, it really is. And I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't feel great about that, um, you know, because I can, I'm, I'm not a guy. That, I know guys like this. You might even be one. You could pick up any guitar, high action, low action, your strings, your whatever, and you can still kill on it, you know? And I can pick up a guitar at a music store or at a friend's house or something and just feel like I can hardly play it. Yeah, I'm in the middle there somewhere. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I can pick up any guitar and kind of make it passable, but because of the strings that I use, it's hard for me if I pick up a guitar that has nines or tens, it, I'm going to struggle, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, me yeah. too. <laughs> I use like, for instance, I use twelve to fifty-four unwound right. G. Yeah. So, so we use you know, very similar. A, you know. Yeah, that's a particular voice that I love, and and right lately I've been I, for a long time I tuned that down a half step, but lately I've been playing it up a half up in regular standard as well. Yeah. Um, and a, you know, and and if it's too different than that, or if the action's too high, I I can play shooping. I can play you know rhythm guitar or something, yeah. but. I can't play solo guitar because it, it, you need it to be kind of a little bit more. I need it to be a little more like a laser beam, you know? Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, number nine, what, what keeps you like, like we just said, pushing and learning new stuff? How do you keep yourself motivated? You know, after you've been playing now 
as long as you have and you've kind of, you know, I don't want to say settled into what, what life is, but, you know, you found your your road and what you do. What keeps you pushing to be better, you know, on the instrument? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, it's an important question, too, because, you know, I'm figuring – I'm figuring I'm hoping to get another 20 years out of this thing yeah. uh, before, you know, the hands fall apart or my brain falls apart or I croak or something. Um, and 20 years is, you know, a lot can happen. Um, I think, though, what it is, is I hear it in my head and I can't do it like that yet. <laughs> Man, you know, it sounds simple when you say that, but it is truly there's no more, better motivator. It's like. If there's something I'm hearing, which there's always something I'm hearing that I can't do, then I just have to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. I know it keeps, I wake up in the middle of the night looking for it, you know, cause sometimes I get a glimpse of it. You know, I, I am uh, cautious and I cautious my, I caution myself because some of what I can do sounds pretty good. You know, <laughs> a lot of what you do sounds really good. <laughs> and thank you. But I mean, to me, Right. So for me, it's like I can't have I, I don't think that the motivator can be external. I don't I think that might be a bit of a privileged perspective, though, because I think some people are motivated by just paying the fucking rent, you know, sure. and and sure. getting their kids, you know, healthy and safe. And, you know, I mean, I think that's absolutely reasonable and probably maybe more realistic for many. But and so I realize my my sort of dreamy um, sort of. Uh, this this fantasy that I have that I can play a certain way and hear certain sounds emanating from my fingers at tips. It, it may be something of a, a, a privileged position. Um, I'm willing to accept it though, because I know that I haven't always, my life history is not just one, one uh, great opportunity after another, you know, I've struggled. I've had to really hold on to my, to my vision about this because I didn't get, much support or encouragement along the way until relatively recently actually um so for me the the drive the thing that keeps me going on it is that in the clear moments i hear something and i can even feel it as music you know being played and i know i can get there i know i can get it i, I know it's possible to get it um, and I just going to keep trying until I get it, you know, and who knows what it, what it's going to mean pretty soon. My hands are going to stop complying with, with certain things. And then I'll have to re navigate, you know, and, and, but for me, it's like, uh, you know, that like a, a Japanese painting where you can see all this incredible stuff, but there's very, very few lines in it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm on a quest in my life to really just get to the essential thing. Pare it down and pare it down to the essential beauty of it. Mm -hmm. That's the, that that's a good motivator. It is a, that is a good it's a a good quest to be on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that leads us to number ten, which is, you know, you say you want to get twenty more years out of this. Well, what's the next five years you think look for you? What's your your uh, you know is there a specific goal in mind, or is it just to keep following the muse, you know, and do what you do? Yeah, that's it right there. I mean, it and it and and uh, the goal can make it seem less aimless. And I do have pr practical things, you know. You and I both work with TrueFire, yeah. and I'd love to yeah. be able to build up a, a a larger and larger catalog of very high quality, good instruction, 
with them that because they don't they want that they they don't put any barriers between me and that goal mm-hmm. and so it's it's something i have to come up with myself of good ideas good execution uh good clear instruction i i would I, I want that because i want to be um uh, in zen we say leave no trace but i can't claim that i i want to leave a little trace i want to be sure. um you know thought of and respected and 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 that's one of the things that i think that I can leave as a legacy, not only for myself, but maybe for also for my kids too, just because there is, you know, an ongoing um, uh, economic legacy as well. Um, you know, I want to stay healthy. I want to stay sane and and kind and and uh, you know, open and generous. Um, I want to help uh, the beautiful younger people who come to me for you know. Uh, whatever they come to me for inspiration or information or uh, encouragement. I want to be able to do that. I, I imagine, you know, being a little old man with a, you know, with gnarled fingers being surrounded by lovely young people who I've taught who care about me. Right. <laughs> you know, in awesome. addition to my, in addition to my family or whatever, but I think it's about someone like Jimmy Weibel. I mean, Everybody I talk to, nobody says Jimmy Wobble didn't move me or that didn't he, yep. he he wasn't kind to me or you know they they might say he's a beautiful guitar player, but but that's kind of we take that sort of as a as a we know he's a beautiful guitar player, but yeah. what, we, what we may not know is that he was a beautiful human being and he loved people and he let them love him, you know so that's kind of uh, at a, I'm at that stage where I don't really think I'm not really thinking Josh about career. Sure. stuff i feel like i've kind of hit the jackpot in terms of being able to pay the bills and 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 do what i love and have enough money to to do that um, i don't know what i would do with too much more money um <laughs> you know except maybe things weren't so good for me um so uh, i just my main kind of trajectory is to uh, stay connected stay kind stay generous and and benefit from how that feeds back into my life, um, you know, to, to be fulfilled, you know? Yeah. Well, that's a good healthy outlook <laughs> and, and perspective <laughs> on, on where you want to be, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think I'd enjoy that too. Being that, uh, you know, white bearded older gentleman surrounded by all the young people. I helped almost got the, the beard going, going already. So <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, there's this sort of, there's this sort of, and Bruce talks about this beautifully as well. Um, and, and Julian is an example of someone who's actually on the other side of that, who's, tr- who's also, you know, I mean, Julian had great mentors. Julian yeah. was really, really prodigious and sort of, you know, strangely good at a very early age, but he also availed himself to these sort of older men and women who kindly, uh, you know, sort of escorted him through his early days. And he has that beautiful mind as a result of that. So I don't think it just helps me to help other people. Oh, no I think it helps them to see how it can work for them too, you know? So that, there, that there's that part of it that we just, it's too small of a world, Josh. You pointed that out right at the very beginning. We got to care for each other. You know, we have to take care of each other, you oh, know? Yeah, I mean, you know, even to the little degree that, you know, I starting to now get, you know, approached when I gig by really, really young players who are doing what I did when I was a kid, you know, wanting to sit right. in and wanting to play and they could play their ass off, 
and they're fans of mine. Like that stuff blows my mind. You know what I mean? Because I can remember literally being exactly where they're standing right now. You know, and I, I yeah, I mean it, it is. It's just a big non. I mean, nonstop circle of whatever. You know, and you you're just paying. Yeah, it you know, I I watched the show you did with Matt. Um, and you guys were talking about what it feels like to see on Instagram or on YouTube or whatever, some, uh, talented young person playing your shit. Right? <laughs> and, and, uh, I kind of take a little bit, um, take that a little bit further. Cause I actually provide these arrangements in my sort of cryptic style. Yeah. Right. You've got full arrangements. Yeah. And then I, and then I, and then they, you know, people get them from me. I used to be donation. Now it's a sort of a small fee to get it from my website. And so I will very often see, you know, uh, be tagged in something where someone's playing an entire arrangement that is based on, you know, three or four minutes of my life. And, um, and I, and, and it hits me in two different ways. First of all, I almost cry every time it happens because it touches me so much that anybody would care about what I do. And you know, with my little stupid fantasy here to spend however many hours it took them to learn how to do it. I mean, that blows me away. And then I also realized that, okay, Time to move on, Tim. So, so, you know, an 18-year-old kid in Australia can play your shit really, really well. So now it's time for you to make sure you're still in motion. <laughs> yeah. You know, make yeah. sure you're still in motion because, because pretty soon, you know, somebody's going to be able to play all of your shit. And yeah. so you got to have... You got to you got to be ahead of that curve, and I don't do that out of resentment. I just think it's a great motivator for me. You know, like okay, <laughs> that's also a good healthy way to look at it. And I, you know, I, I've I don't look at the that that way so much with the young people that I see playing my shit, because I I give myself enough of that motivation. If there's the one thing that's ever driven me through this whole process, it's the I just want to play new shit tomorrow compared to today always that's that's definitely the one that's like the one tenant that is pushes me further i talk with kirk about this a lot because it's like it drives me crazy if i hear back a tape of myself from a month ago and i'm not playing new shit now you know what i mean like so that's always kind of pushed me forward. well here's a question for you josh where do you go for that new shit where do you look man it could be from anywhere like it's from you know it could be from completely isolated i got it out of my own head you know or it could be from a lot of times it's a singer or something or you know but it's just something something new something you know different i just hate feeling like i'm stuck yeah i don't know (laughs) i know i'm with you i'm with you i i i have a little different i mean you know maybe the the 20 year age difference is a little different for me because i'm not so interested in new things as I am in in penetrating sort of as deeply as possible into the stuff that I do. Mm. Um, and and a lot of times that's not about notes. And of course, you know, sure. this is, you know, yeah. it's very rarely about notes. <laughs> it's about something else. And I think that can be new as well, as we can find new appreciation for um, a tune or new appreciation for silence or you know something that that is a is growth you know i and and so i i i thought when i was hearing you talk just a moment ago about wanting new i didn't think you were specifically meaning a new lick no no not at all right yeah yeah okay good i just wanted to clarify that because because it 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 
I think depending on where we are in our in our trajectory, shit, man, at some point, having a vocabulary is really, really profoundly important. And, oh, yeah. you know, as, as we both discovered, you know, <laughs> sometime. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's more just like the, it's, it's the mindset, really. It's the keep moving forward mindset. Yeah. I'm just always yeah. on that, that, that move, you know? Yeah. 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 But yeah, well, you it doesn't know what, have though? to be a new lick. It could be. I got, <laughs> I got to tell you though, I first heard you, I was recently kind of in back in the world chasing, you know, sounds and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember, um, there was a, it was a pedal, a, a pedal you were famous for relatively early on in your YouTube career. Okay. A, a chula or a, yeah, sure. Yeah. Anyway, you were playing a killing version of, I maybe crosscut saw maybe, but something that reminded me of that and tone for days and just killing, you know, and you weren't playing the same way as you play now. Oh but yeah. You were, yeah. But you were killing, you know what I mean? And, and maybe it wasn't as personal as it is now, but it was really, really, really good. I gotta tell you, Thanks. you know, and inspirational, you know? Um, and so, you know, all this moving forward thing is also, um, can we move forward? Well, you know, sometimes that moving forward is, is revisiting and circling back and sure, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not necessarily a march in a straight line toward some, no, something. it's just, it's the path. It's not the, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's the doing it. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. most important. It could be, you could be, you know, moving, whatever. You just have to keep moving. You know? yeah, that's right. Keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Well, dude, we've, we've reached the end of the 10 questions. Um, it's a pleasure as always to pick your brain and to hear more of your story, which is fascinating. Um, there will be links to all things Tim Lurch in the description of this video. Please make sure you go buy his record, buy his true fire courses, go on his site and download some of his arrangements and then tag him in Instagram because he loves that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> and yes, uh, for the do something a little different than I did. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, for the rulers, we'll do the turn two video coming up. If you're not a ruler, you should become a ruler. Hit join or at least please hit subscribe and support uh, the channel and keep my effort level high on these videos by, by <laughs> continuing to watch. <laughs> Anyways, Tim, dude, thank you for taking the time out of your day. It's always a pleasure to get to talk to you, man. Thank you, Josh. I had a blast, and and uh, you're you're really good at this. So, uh, you know, you're probably good at just about everything you try, but you're good at this, and and uh, it, it was very comfortable. And um, you elicited from my memory bank some things that I hadn't really thought to think about or wanted to share. So I appreciate it. It's uh, oh. it's wonderful. Well, thanks, Tim. I I appreciate that. And uh, for the rulers, we'll be right back. All right. <laughs>